I mean to want and to be ambitious and to want to be successful. How I Made It with Diallo McKee and Sally Hajjar Produced by Rami Hawa Directed by Rafa Darazi مرحبا everyone. Our second guest today was celebrated as the first female Emirati independent director and producer. Naila Al-Khaja is a natural storyteller with a vision and a sense of perseverance to reach her goals in spite of the cultural and social setbacks. Under the leadership of the late founding father, former president of the UAE, His Highness Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Al Nahyan, Al-Khaja presented her highly acclaimed documentary Unveiling Dubai. CEO of Nail Al-Khaja Films and founder of Dubai's first film club, The Scene Club, Nail Al-Khaja is also a motivational speaker with a number of successful projects under her belt, showing no signs of slowing down. Nail Al-Khaja has won a number of highly acclaimed awards, particularly the Al-Muhr for Best Emirati Film and Special Jury Prize, the Muhr of Best Female Director at the Dubai International Film Festival. Among her films, Sweet 16, Adi.com, The Loss, Unveiling Dubai, Malal, Animal, and The Shadow. Nail Al-Khaja, welcome to our podcast. I'm very happy that uh, I'm seeing you after uh, so many years. Uh, um, congratulations on the birth of your twins. I saw your son, right? Yeah, daughter. I saw your daughter right now. She's incredible. They're twins. So <laughs> They're okay. twins. Um, was motherhood uh, something that uh, was a postponed dream for you? Was it something you always wanted, but you were just busy in your uh, day-to-day life and career-oriented? I think like most women who are extremely into their career, it will cross your mind, but it wasn't like, you know, I was a dog on a bone kind of thing. Like I wasn't, oh my God, I have to do this right now. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It And it, it only became kind of I want children is when I met my husband mm-hmm. because of course you're in love with this human being and you can imagine you can and you see the potential of him being an amazing father mm-hmm. and I just really at that point felt so settled in my life my career took a turn he came at the right time and it was just like we both kind of had a nice pause in our life and we thought okay this is the right time to have children mm-hmm. so we got blessed and within the first six months of getting married we felt pregnant And we had twins, but they didn't make it. They actually died in my stomach. Okay. It's fine. And, you know, it was a very hard kind of reality call Mm. that even when you think you have it, life can take everything in a second. In a second, life can change. How did that change you on a personal level? It's a very humbling experience. It brought us closer. I've never seen him shed so many tears in the middle of the street. It was a really heartbroken moment. Like, Mm. it's so emotional. Subhanallah, and then after that we tried again a year of you know trying, it didn't happen, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, maybe they're not in my stars to have children. And I said, you know what, why don't we go into IVF? Like, I don't care what people say, let's just do it, it might work. And we got, we did IVF, and I had only two eggs left, because I'm not young, I'm 42. And then I'm like, it's gonna be either those two or it's never gonna happen. And Oh my God, I'm getting goosebumps. So when you're the, making me tear up. Have you? When the when the doctor like uh, you know inserted the baby's embryos at that point, he said, "I'm putting in the girl and and now the boy." And I'm thinking, okay, I hope one catches. So then I got the amazing news after two weeks that I have uh, I'm pregnant with twins again, and you have no idea. You were the fear, to have twins. The fear, 
the fear eats you like cancer. Mm-hmm. The first, yeah, the first three months, because you can have an easy miscarriage. Like I was just like holding on that. I just passed the first trimester, and then when I did, and then when I passed the second trimester, <clears throat> I took their lung injections because you know with twins it's yeah. premature. It's really scary to yeah. the end. It's very high risk pregnancy, and I'm not young. Yeah. I just delivered them literally weeks before I turned 43. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, you know. So I did got you a... feel at that point when you <laughs> suffered that loss, like, oh my God, I gave way too much time to my dreams, to my career, running after the things that I love, and I put this in the background. No, Maybe I'm not meant to have the this. children, you need mm. to find the man. Yeah, and yeah. we know in a city like this city, mm. it's not easy to find a right mm. man. Like you can find people who like you, you don't like them. Mm. Or for example, if you like them, they don't like you. Or if it's a match, yeah. something else, Basel, there's something yeah. else that comes in the middle, you know? Yeah. So you never, it's so hard. And, and as we get older, our choices mm. become more determined. We know ourselves more, so mm. we compromise mm-hmm. less. Mm-hmm. And it becomes more challenging. So I call those twins, I have a name for them, they're the rainbow babies. I call them rainbow babies because Allah mm-hmm. and God compensated me for those that passed. So it's like life takes away from you, but if you're a believer, it really gives you back. I mean, whoever knows your story is pretty uh, inspiring. You constantly defied cultural norms, whether on a personal level or on a career level. How was it after uh, all these years um, um, getting married to a non-Emirati uh, man? How did your family uh, cope with it? I think there were very few moments in my life where I would enter a meeting and speak to someone and my heart will sink in my stomach. One was speaking directly to Sheikh Highness Sheikh Hamad. The other one would be like, I don't know, uh, the, the moment I got you know like few moments in life and I think this moment probably takes the trophy in terms of I was literally dying I walked to my dad he's extremely conservative and you know at that point I think I was 38 and I'm like dad I think I found someone I really want to set it dad was over the moon he's like yay great is he from the family I'm like yeah great no and he's like okay is he from like he started like bringing all these different surnames that we're used mm-hmm. to hearing in the country mm-hmm. Is he Luta? Is he Al Mazrui? And I don't know what. I'm like, no. And then you can see his face changing quickly. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. Masri? Lebanani? He started like going through Pan Arab. I'm like, I'm like, no. And when I said no to this person being, you know, from the Pan Arabs, in his mind, he immediately registered and he's a non Arab. Mm-hmm. And that's when, like, my whole world flipped because you could see the anger then. Mm-hmm. It settled in. He was very quiet. So I said he's Swiss. And you could see like that elephant in the room just became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, someone get me out of this room because my dad really scares me. In the sense that, you know, he's always going to be the dad that I was when a, when a child is scared of their father because he's like very militant in his nature. And he was a very, he's very kind and quiet, but in a really... Like, in, in a moment, like, he can give you one look and you will just die. So I'm like, okay, this is it. And <clears throat> thank God he didn't ask me his name. Because his original name is Christian. Oh, my God. <laughs> From all the names in the world. <laughs> From all the names w- Were world. you rebellious at a very young age? Yeah. Were you always like this? Yeah. I've actually taken, I've actually stolen my own passport and ran out of the country. I actually, Only to attend a conference because they were against me going. 
So I had to park my car outside the garage so they don't hear it at four in the morning when I start the vehicle. I took my luggage, I already packed it a day before. I had it dropped in a different apartment in my friend's place. And I even wore pajamas under my clothes in case I get oh caught. Oh my God, Naila. <laughs> I, I had a whole, I had a whole uh, James Bond mission. And <clears throat> at that time there was no, we didn't have smartphones. We had the old Nokia, you know. So I remember clearly, once I made it to the airplane at 5.30 in the morning, my mom woke up for prayers. She didn't find me in the room. She had a heart attack, acute. So I didn't want to scare her so much that her daughter got kidnapped. I was very young, I think 23 or 24. Where did you get all that courage from living in a conservative uh, community, uh, a Marathi community? My mom, my mom is extremely courageous. What did she expect me to turn out? Like, we're always a replica of our parents, somehow. Yeah, yeah, somehow. Anyway, so I sent them a message that I'm saying, oh, by, by the way, guys, I landed, you know, I'm in Italy. And they're like, they, they, they were okay that I was okay. But once I came back, they had 22 people waiting for me in a majlis, all family members to attack. I was the old, lonely wolf. <laughs> they were the ones, actually. I was the, like the rabbit, you know, about to be I, I uh, feel eaten. You, I, I feel you have like uh, numerous stories uh, I have like stories. this. How I Made It with Diala Mekki and Sally Hajar. Is it true that you actually had to get married in order to pursue your dreams yes. to yeah. uh, to become a filmmaker? I'm a firm believer that no woman should be denied access to education, even in a privileged place. Yeah. Even if she has access to education locally, if her brothers have all the freedom to pick any country in the world and go and study whatever they want, she should have the same rights. And I have two brothers, they were both able to go and pick whatever they want and study. One decided to study locally, which killed me because mm-hmm. I didn't have that mm-hmm. freedom. I mean, I had the freedom, but he didn't want to leave. The other one went to Michigan and yeah. he studied architecture. Yeah. And he went to AUD in the end. Yeah. But where did this passion come from? I mean, you come from uh, a country where filmmaking, it's still, as you described it, a movement. It's not an industry yet. Where did this passion for storytelling and wanting to become in the film industry come from? I, I believe it came from watching lots of foreign films as a mm. child. My dad is a film collector. Mm. I think he regrets it today. And he would uh, lock all his film in a, in a cupboard with a key, and I knew where the key was. So whenever he would go to work, we'd come much earlier than him. I would have VHSs like, lined up and watch them one after the other. I just mm. became an addict. And the film that changed my life when I was very, very young is called Boot Polish. Mm-hmm. It's a black and white film from mm-hmm. the 60s. And it's a story about a brother and girl uh, in the streets. They were very, very poor. They both get adopted. Sorry, one gets adopted. So they get mm-hmm. separated. And it really broke my heart. But it was such beautiful storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's when I feel like it influenced me so much as a human being that I wanted to tell stories. When did you first start experimenting with, uh, with film? Oh, very young. Um, I would have camcorders. And then my uncle got me an 8mm film. I was very young, I think 13. 14 and we didn't have Kodaks back in the UAE so they would be either developed in Europe or in Singapore uh, sorry in Singapore is my dad had an office there in, in England so we didn't have Kodaks or India for example so then I would shoot on 8mm and then we'd get them developed and imagine like me waiting after one month till it comes back to Dubai and so yeah and I, by the way I also have been able to damage two of our house curtains oh because God. I would always create place for my family but how 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 important is your experience because you were able to work on film versus the younger generation today that has uh, access only to digital film teaches you how to be very um, 
film teaches you how to plan well because film yeah. is extremely, extremely expensive. And I mean celluloid. So if I have, for example, a shot, a scene, and I have my mezzanine and everything is You done, have to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. You have either three or four shots. You don't have all the money in the world. You're not a Spielberg. So you're not mm. going to have that kind of luxury to shoot mm. one page per day. It's not like that. But now with digital, people are like, just, that's okay. Let's take this mm. shot. Let's take this for safety. Let's so that whole learning is uh, different. experience, the learning experience. Only 15 years ago, you were named the first Emirati uh, producer and filmmaker. Yeah. And 15 years ago, it's not a long time ago. Um, uh, however, the industry was still at the very uh, beginning of it. How do you see the industry changing or the market uh, Unfortunately, changing? Unfortunately, I feel like, although we've picked really amazingly one in the TV commercial arena, mm -hmm. when it comes to narrative filmmaking series or features, I, I, I still think we're nowhere near. We didn't even start, to be honest. Like people call it a movement. There's pockets of movements here and there. What's Independent missing? movement. What's Grants. missing? Mm. Grants. We really need a proper... Either, you know, government, private, it can be solely private, it can be government, whatever it is. We need film grants. I mean, uh, uh, being in a, in a city like Dubai with all the funding, all the luxury projects, it's not a why is it difficult to get funding for films? film is not a priority. They don't see the potential of it being a business. That's what's sad. And the, how would you and other filmmakers uh, from the region raise awareness about the importance of film as a cultural movement um, the only way this is going to happen is like let's say myself and a few others um, like dedicate our time because it takes time to create a film fund like a private film fund and raise a really lucrative amount mm. of money and then from that pocket you start like funding uh, for you know four features a year mm. or five feature films a year from that a snowball effect will happen and, and one film might really catch popularity mm. and that will excite other investors in town to um, get on board, mm. especially if they see returns. With the lack of, uh, of platforms and big events such as uh, the film festival, the Dubai Film Festival, which is, which, canceled, was, yeah. which is canceled and it was obviously a great success and I have beautiful memories. Do you feel uh, this hinders, uh, you know, prospects for young talent to, to join the industry, to dream about becoming film. It almost feels like it's more difficult now for filmmakers than it was 15, 20 years ago. It's difficult because there's no uh, incubation, there's no place yeah. that brings them yeah. together. But in a weird way, because they don't have anywhere to do, they're doing their own efforts, they're putting more effort to mm. be recognized, so they start sending their films overseas. Because of that, I got commissioned by an international project because that's exactly what I did. Because there was no diff, our comfort blanket was removed. Tarrena, yeah. we were, you know, uh, sending our <coughs> films to other festivals and people started watching them and contacting us mm. for projects. So that's good. How I Made It with Diala Mekki and Sally Hajar. Let's talk about unveiling uh, Dubai. Um, it's obviously a very important uh, milestone in your career. It has also a beautiful uh, story of how you actually got the approval and you got the support uh, for, uh, for a film as such. Tell us first, what was the movie about? Um, how did you manage to get uh, the support of uh, the late founding uh, father? And what memories do you have from that very uh, first experience? So that first documentary experience, <clears throat> I was in Canada at that point. There was a German guy who really couldn't believe that we had microwaves in Dubai. And, I, and that really upset me. I'm like, what are you talking about? We have skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, but you know, there's, there's depth to it. It's not just old buildings. There are people, there are artists, there are musicians. It has a soul. 
Absolutely. And I'm like, look, the only way we can do this if we do a film called Unveiling Dubai from your perspective and mine. So let's go together and document our experience. And that's how it was born. Mm -hmm. So it was me and uh, his name was Nicholas. We came here and as a Marathi, I showed him my city from my perspective. And then he, his entire stereotype changed. The year after that, he got his family for vacation. Oh, he wow. was so shocked. So imagine, like, media has that power, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sheikh Nahyan bin Barak al-Nahyan, who at that point was the Minister of Education, he, he did something amazing. He actually wrote an opening speech which launched me as the first female director. And I met him a few days back, and he actually had the actual speech um, with him 15 years later, and I, he's going to sign it for me. I'm going to frame it. But that's so nice that someone of that caliber really supports mm-hmm. um, women. So that's really great. Did that kind of, did that phase kind of impact you, impact your entire career after that? Was it yes. more, was oh it more God, difficult yes. when you reach success at that level at a young age? Is it, as a filmmaker, people tend to think, you know, oh, okay, I made it. But they don't realize that with every successful project comes a phase of, uh, uncertainty, rejection, starting from zero all over again. Till today, Tell us about that. Till today, and I want people who are listening to understand that mm-hmm. even if you feel like you've done a big milestone, you still get rejected. Till today, I get rejected. Mm-hmm. It's very normal. How do you deal with that? It's an, one door closes, you know, another one opens. Yeah. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. And if it's not meant to be, I, I really knock my knuckles out. Like, I don't just give up. I really do. And then when it's like, absolutely, I know there's absolutely no hope, then I move on. Mm-hmm. So I, I just feel better that way because I know I did everything I can in my mm-hmm. capacity. And then I sing the song differently and mm-hmm. I find another venue where I can express myself and it catches. Mm-hmm. Um, so after, like, I know that I, I started films way before. So it's been 21 years since I've been making them. But... I really feel I've arrived last year with The Shadow, with my mm-hmm. film The Shadow. I feel like my skill set technically, my awareness, my cinema consciousness, it's all been like now it's pushed to a very mature level. So I feel like I've arrived and now I'm ready to play with the big boys and I'm so excited to take all these very ambitious projects on mm-hmm. board. And I know there'll be lots of different type of challenges because mm-hmm. the bigger it is, the harder it becomes. Um, among your um, uh, the projects that you have uh, directed, which is the one that you would say the film that is closest to your heart because it came at a specific time in your life, uh, emotionally, personally? I think animal. Animal, yeah. Yeah, I think animal because it was the day I got married as well in the, at, in, at court. Yeah. And... I got married and I looked like at you're my husband. You're multitasking. And, yeah, and he's like, "Okay, I know you need to go back. I need to, you need to go back on oh set." Yeah. And it was a one hour like mm. the mm. So we went, we did that, and I ran back on set and continued shooting. Mm. Um, so it has that link, and also it's a very personal story. It's um, I have an issue with fear. I grew up in a very fearful environment, and I think Animal captures that beautifully. And I use film as therapy. Film is very therapeutic, especially when you're yes. making them. And like all these films that I've done in the past, it was a nice way to release all the negativity in me. But now I do it for for the sake of beauty, for the sake of creating an atmosphere. I love storytelling and it just gives me everything. Like film has fashion, music, um, lots of energy. It has madness. It has intense fashion. Sometimes you work three years for one film Mm -hmm. that nobody might never ever Mm -hmm. see, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you need to be a little Mm -hmm. crazy to make them. How I Made It with Diala Mekki and Sally Hajar. Um, as a female filmmaker, what are some of the topics that you're really eager to highlight uh, in your future projects? I would love to do 
uh, mythical stories of the past, you know, fairy tale stories of, Why? of the past, because I think there's so much beauty in it. Uh, I like very dark genres, so suspense, murder, with a little bit of, you know, love plot. Like, I like, I love drama, but within mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. So I like drama within, like, a really dark context. Um, I have a very beautiful film that takes place in the 1920s. It's called Story of Rain. And uh, it's really about a virus, believe it or not. Oh I wrote it before God. Corona, but it's a virus that's brought by rain. Mm-hmm. And people's skin starts melting off. It's horrific. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lovers, like two lovers, they're like separated because of the virus. And they're quarantined on the ocean between mm-hmm. two mountains. Mm-hmm. It's a do really, you, really beautiful Do you feel story. stories as such where people get to escape into an ima- imaginary, myth- mythical world is what audiences today with everything that's happening uh, post-pandemic kind of need? Do you see that shift in the tastes of viewership or consumership? Honestly, I feel anything works as long as the story is well made. Mm -hmm. Any story that's a good story, whether it's action, horror, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you'll be like really gripped Mm -hmm. if it's an amazing story. Have you seen Argo? No. For example, like just these stories that you think, oh, I don't want to watch an American political story. Like that was my reaction. When I watched it, I couldn't stop watching. It really gripped me. So it yeah. all comes down to one thing, writing. Yeah, writing, which is something that we need to focus more on in their kitchen. Producing, right. <laughs> do, do you think that the industry post-pandemic is going to change in terms of, you know, uh, will something take over the cinema experience? Um, well, I'll tell you personally what has changed for me. Corona has been really good because in a weird way, it has pushed local work further because people can't fly international directors. Mm-hmm. And now we are directing for big brands. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's TVC and mm-hmm. branded content, but they're like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Why haven't I worked with you before? I'm like, because you would never consider me. Yeah. Because, well, first of all, I'm a female. Secondly, I'm local, so it's not sexy enough. But it's more sexy if you say, oh, I'm going to get uh, Jean, uh, Jean-Jacques <laughs> you know, from Cannes. You know? But you have your Jean-Jacques here. You just mm. have to look closer. They're right in front of your mm. face. If you look at your journey so far, what would you say were the main challenges that hindered your growth um, initially and People's along the People's stereotypes. Years? The stereotypes that I come across, even so condescending. Some of the remarks on set, oh my God, I know, like it's mental health, really. Like I would be walking and then I will hear people say, oh, do you think she wrote her own shot list? It's like, what? You would never hear that mm. said to the opposite mm. sex. It's so mm. disrespectful. Mm. I'm not saying that's the majority. Thankfully, mm. it's the minority, mm. but it can really break you down. Mm. So it's a stereotype that women can't direct. I don't understand where someone came up with that. It's absolutely rubbish. I mean, if you look at American Psycho, the famous film directed by a female, yeah. but you wouldn't think so, right? Because it's so violent. Who are some of the female filmmakers or producers that you kind of look up to and you uh, look up to their journey and their experiences? <laughs> so I love Deepa Mehta. Yeah. I think uh, her story of water is one of the most inspiring stories. She was threatened to be killed twice. Mm-hmm. She moved location, changed homes to make this mm-hmm. film. And after five years of like really killing, like really persevering, she, she shot her from the set of India and Sri Lanka and got nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. So this shows you how far, even Nadine Lebeke's film yeah. um, has an amazing story. They mortgaged their house. No, not a lot of people know this. Yes. They had to mortgage their house just to finish the funding. And this is someone who's extremely successful. You mm-hmm. think money will be poured at her. Mm-hmm. Where for her last film, no one wanted to fund it. Even after her reputation, 
she still struggled to raise money. It's un- if she was a guy, this wouldn't have happened. How far would you go to fund something that you absolutely believe in? I might do it differently because mm. I'm also an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a different way mm. of raising the money mm. without completely, mm. so to speak, burning mm. the house. But I would take a risk. Like if I stop working for two years, mm. that's a huge cost opportunity because yeah. my bread and butter comes from like big TVCs. Mm. So for me to stop everything and really focus on a film that I'm crazy about, it's, it's also giving up a lot. How I Made It with Diala Mekki and Sally Hajar. I really hope that I'll be able to make a film that would inspire a lot of young girls and boys mm-hmm. um, to join the field because we definitely need more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not normal that after all these years, I'm the only female who does narrative filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Now there's a yeah. few more, but it's just, yeah, it's insanely rare. Before you, you made me tear up in the very beginning of the interview, tell me a little bit more about the projects that you sign up for. Twenty uh, one looks like an interesting. Yes. Inshallah. Inshallah. Hopefully. So it was supposed to be this year, but yeah, pushed because for of you. COVID. Yeah. yeah. So twenty twenty one, I'm working on a series that I came up with called the Stinger Sisters, mm-hmm. Raya Sakina. Raya so, Sakina. Yes, oh my God. Yes. It, I love it. I love it. <laughs> So I love their story. Yeah, I pitched it to Gianluca Chakra from Front Row Films and I pitched it to Rocket Science. So we signed a contract and they have a very famous uh, person on board to, mm-hmm. to write. And he's written like some, you know, big films. So I'm very excited to have him work. We're definitely going to have Egyptian writers because you can't do it without mm-hmm. them. So that I'm super excited about. I also have a film, um, my, own, my own film, The Shadow, which is turning mm-hmm. into a feature film. I already got an investor on board, so that's amazing. Um, and then there's another film that I was completely commissioned on to do. It's a almost like an Indiana Jones children mm-hmm. adventure film, but I like this because it's Middle Eastern. So mm-hmm. you go back in time, you meet Rumi, you meet Khalil Gibran, you meet like all these amazing personalities through these kids that happen to like time travel, okay. you know. But it's, it's it has also a little bit of suspense and thriller. It's really really cool. Like I love the way it's written and it's funny as well. Uh, do you get inspired by other industries? Usually the best thing. Uh, best inspiration comes from industries that are outside ours. Do you are you into photography? Do you, uh, painting. Do you like poetry, painting? Yes, poetry yeah. and painting. Definitely yeah. painting because I, when I first started, I've always been into painting. So I yeah. wanted actually to go to Scotland and then do fine arts. Yeah. And I have my A levels in fine arts. And my mom built me a studio, so I would do lots of like oil on canvas. I do lots of portraits. So my background is painting. Is like, painting. Yeah. How I made it with Diala Mekki and Sally Hajar. Guys, it's okay to experiment, to make mistakes. This is the perfect time for you to do that. I mean, I'm still doing that. Mm-hmm. So the, the practical advice is go on film sets, contact production houses, tell them you want to volunteer, and go physically, go to film mm-hmm. sets, see what you like. You might be amazed. Maybe there's a department you didn't even know existed, and you're like, oh my God, I really want to do this. And then specialize in that uh, area. And as we all know from you, my beautiful muse, she doesn't stop studying like you know you can always take that course yeah. later in life you know yeah. my husband's 40 and he just graduated so education never stops mm-hmm. you know AUD gives you the foundation but you can still go on and take courses yeah. I'm thirsty to do a cinematography mm-hmm. course because I'm not a cinematographer mm-hmm. but for me I feel like if I speak the language of my cinematographer we'll be I'll be able to make better films so education never stops volunteer 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 on sets that's how you can go far far I mean to want and to be ambitious, and to want to be successful. How I Made It, with Diala Mekki and Sally Hajar. Produced by Rami Hawa. Directed by Rafa Darazi.